Hello, welcome to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. I'm David Wheatley and we're here to talk all things leadership. Well, hello, and I've got two guests this week just to make it extra special. My uh, first guest is Chief Carrie Ann Thomas, who is the, the Chief of Public Safety in Kalamazoo, Michigan, a graduate of the FBI Academy, uh, currently Chief of Public Safety, I say the first female chief in Kalamazoo, and after a military career that took her to the rank of captain, I believe, has had a career in the police department in a city of around 80,000 people, which makes up Kalamazoo, and quite a diverse city as well. So I'm um, looking forward to chatting with Carrie Ann. And then I've also got Sylvester Jones, and Sylvester's coming to us from Maryland. And um, I always have to say that right, because I used to call it Maryland, and people would correct my accent. <laughs> Uh, uh, Sylvester is a former U.S. Deputy Marshal, and when he retired from the U.S. Marshal Service, was one of the senior uh, officers of color. Uh, at the time I knew him, he was running WITSEC, which was the witness protection program that people were recognized from different TV shows. And uh, he's also former Army and retired as a lieutenant colonel and is the author of Hunting Criminals to Hiding Them. And you might have gathered there's a theme in this week's episode, and that is law enforcement. So Carrie Ann, Sylvester, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the willingness to engage in this conversation. So I, I said I wasn't going to ask any hard questions, and now I'm going to go back on that and start with a hard one, I think. <laughs> so uh, if you read the press, you look at the, the television news at the moment, in this country, we have a law enforcement problem, especially around race. What in your mind is going on? And I'll, I'll go to Carrie Ann first. That's a big question, David, right? Because there's so many things going on and there's so many different things going on in different cities. But I think if you look universally across the country at the breakdown in positive relationships that law enforcement has had with communities of color has come to a head, and that's hundreds of years of reasons and circumstances and incidents um, that we've come to this point today. And we've come at a time where we're at an uncertain time due to a worldwide pandemic, and then very volatile incidents um, have occurred and these reactions run so deep and are so emotional that it's hard for any side to deal with that and try to figure out how do we move forward. Um, and it's complex. It's complex. And I certainly don't have all the answers as I try to respond to bits and pieces. But the conversation that we need to have of how do we heal and move forward is not a five-minute conversation. It's not a five-day conversation. It's not even five-year conversation but it looks like it's one that time has come, really come versus just being at a surface level. So the way you're characterizing it there is that we're a polarized society and the thin blue line is stuck in the middle and it's been pulled in every direction. Well, I think that's a really good way to categorize it, but I think it's also as a profession of having self-reflection and look at what is expected from us and who expects it from us and how do we get there. Right. And so it's, there's a lot of pressure on law enforcement and the challenge is that I've been saying this with a lot of things, complex situations can't be solved with simple answers. Absolutely. No, they can't. So, and they so can't be solved overnight. 
Wow. Sylvester, you've been out of direct law enforcement for a while, but I know you've had a couple of runs for sheriff in uh, Prince George's County, Maryland. So you're still keeping your finger on the pulse there. What are you seeing? Yes, I mean, it's um, obviously, you know, everyone want to see that uh, we we live in some trying times. Um, uh, and um, I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, especially now with the, 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 the the times that we live in that uh, you can, as a, a lawyer, a good friend of mine once told, told me that you, that people, every one of us must um, hold ourselves accountable like a camera is on us at all times. And so um, I, I think that, you know, some of these things that we're seeing as far as some of these shootings and, um, you know, police shootings, uh, you know, I should say, uh, and would involve um, uh, citizens uh, or people of color, especially African-Americans, where if they're uh, significantly questionable shootings, such as, um, you know, armless people or somebody running away w without a weapon or walking away or someone laying down and, you know, just, um, you, you know, the, the, the fact that we see that now and it can go viral at any time and 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 uh, you, you know and this that's what happens it, it it gets out there and people are you know getting enraged with it uh, I, I've, you know obviously that kind of behavior um, is unacceptable f by um, you know members of, of my profession and unfortunately sometimes it, it looks like it's certainly certainly um, um, uh, actions of um, of police that don't understand or appreciate all members of the, the community. And, um, you know, because I, I think most of us are, are good, good people. Most of the police profession are, are, are good people. They take on the job for the right reason. And, um, and, you know, to, to help, you know, folks and to, to be a, a positive person in the community. So, uh, you know, so I'm seeing, um, you know, and I think there's a, a, a lack of, um, I think, accountability. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't, you know, like Chief Carrie uh, and Thomas say, it's a, it's a, a huge um, situation and, 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 it, and it, there is no um, quick uh, solution to it. But it, I think it has to be looked at from top down um, as far as uh, uh, the police, the police function, the training, um, accountability, top down, um, the community, uh, because uh, I mean, yeah, I got I got into a couple um, heated conversations with uh, a couple millennials about defunding the police and Black Lives Matter, um, and I I I think that um, obviously, uh, you know, you I don't even like the term defund police. I think it's inappropriately used. If they were saying like, maybe we should reprogram some things or maybe a police department doesn't need a tank. Uh, you know, I might understand that, but you need the police. Uh, as I told one uh, young you know, person, uh, cause who are you gonna call? And call Ghostbusters when, 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 when things go down, we have some really bad people out here. And you know, we have to have um, the police uh, to, to protect us, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, and what, what, what the law enforcement people, um, I think one of the things that, that when you're active, what you need to think about, because one day 
you're going to be a civilian just like me right now. You know, I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've 31 years sworn officer. So one day we're going to be a civilian and you know, then what, how do you want to be treated? Uh, you know, so anyway, I, I probably went on too much. So, but go ahead. Well, you, you, you set out a whole bunch of things there. And I'm going to pull at a few threads, but the one I was going to start with is the one that you're talking about defunding the police. I'm going to throw back to, to carry on for a second because, uh, how does defunding the police and, and mission drift come together? Because it, it seems like you know, the, um, there's only one number you can call for whatever problem you have, and you get a cop at the other end of it. How do you see that combining, and, and what do you see as being some of the, the potential thoughts in the future, carry on? You know, and defund the police has be, just become that catchphrase for change the police is really what it means is change their mission and some of the things they do and allow people who specialize in other non-criminal areas to take over that work. But what a police officer hears when you said defund my police is, am I gonna have a job and am I gonna be able to support my family? That's what an officer hears as you know they show up every day. And then you look at the situations that, and, I, and David, you and I have had this conversation before is, we're more than open to share the work there's a, you know, 50% of the work we do is not criminal. It's someone calling 911 and needs us to solve a problem. Usually not criminal. You know, my child won't go to school. You know, I don't like my neighbor's dog. And there's only one number to call in this country. So if you need someone just to help you solve your problems, a dispute uh, that's non-criminal, you don't have any other method or any other uh, way to go, right? And so you call 911 and we, as a service uh, oriented profession, we show up no matter what. And you know, your third grader, we'll make sure your third grader comes out of the bathroom and goes to school. You know, we'll listen to all those things. Uh, and there's time that we get called that people are having a mental illness crisis or substance abuse crisis or all the other things that complicate them having the ability to solve whatever issues in front of them. And my 23 year old officer, uh, comes and shows up and, and he's uh, responsible for making sure that that person is satisfied at the end, that no one comes to harm. Um, and until we have another system that says, hey, if I have this problem, I call 111. If I have a criminal problem and I need the police, I call 911. But until we set up all those other systems, we're now expecting the officers just to be able to handle the gamut, right? Run the gamut of everything. And it takes so much time and energy to train an officer um, just on criminal procedures, on the law, on police procedures, on tactics, on, you know, we're public safety, so all my officers are firefighters and medical first responders. And then we have to teach them crisis intervention. And then we have to teach them, you know, social service. I mean, all these things are expected to be an expert at that they touch the surface on so many things that it doesn't make them experts in that area, but there's still only one number to call for the expert to show up and that person's wearing a blue uniform usually. So that, and that, you know, that's what I call the mission drift is that it seems like your social workers, your substance abuse counselors, uh, there's everything along with, in your world, you're also a policeman, a fireman, and a, a first responder, an emergency medical technician. In the, so you're, you're adding more and more layers of, a role to this position and and then are surprised when uh, things aren't being handled particularly well. Correct and and that mission drift uh, until 
everyone realizes that they don't want the police to do these things and they set up the systems for it to be handled another way, it's going to continue to be our responsibility because we just won't say no, no matter what. When you call 911 and us, we just won't say no. Um, and that's part of this profession. It's a calling. You're driven to this life of service and you want to help people. I mean, I, I became an officer because I like people and problem solving, right? And so every day it's people and problem solving. And at the end of the day, you want someone to walk away satisfied with the service you provided them. Sometimes the service is that listening ear and writing a report. Sometimes that service is that you have to take someone into custody. Um, so it runs the gamut. Um, but, but they really want to serve their communities. And as you know, law enforcement leaders, I always say, it, it's my responsibility as the chief to give them the tools to do that, right? To make sure I have the best policies and procedures in place, to make sure I have the absolute best training for all of them and adequate supervision um, so that they have every tool they need to do that job uh, when we send them out there. And you hope for the best at the end. None of them are perfect, but I know they all try really hard. So, uh, I mean, we're putting a lot of pressure on the, the characterization you made as that 23-year-old cop um, to do a lot of work. And if I, I flip back to Sylvester, it's, um, what's the implications of that when we're putting pressure on a 23-year-old with all of these roles? Where does that kick into the race divide that we seem to have when it comes to law enforcement? Well, you, you know, uh, Chief Thomas mentioned a, a couple of really great points that um, I just want to back up just a little bit and try to remember what you just said um, as far as, um, I mean, uh, you know, when I was a police officer back uh, in a, a town that was Markham, Illinois, it's a small town, and there was a another police officer on our frequency that the officers were also trained as uh, EMTs and 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 uh, first responders. So they they had a, a, a you know a, a tough job, a dual job. Not only are you a police officer, but in in in, in her particular case and with her officers, they have um, a lot of responsibility, see a lot of different things. So there's a lot of stress and. And then one of the things that when I was an officer that we had that we could fall on was we had more mental health uh, facilities and assistance so that, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, and, and we could, you know, work with those facilities and, and get, you know, mental health, rather we want to admit it or not, it's, it's also, a, you know, a problem. You know, a lot of folks uh, um, have, uh, uh, you know, some, some issues. Um, you know, and, and, and need assistance that, you know, law enforcement guys are not, um, you know, equipped to, uh, uh, you know, most of them are not equipped to handle. And so, uh, but anyway, you, so you, you're asking about the, um, if I can fall back to your question about the 23-year-old officer and what was the, the, the second part? We're putting a lot of pressure and a lot of work on this 23-year-old officer. How does that play into the race divide that we have that we see uh, George Floyd and Jacob Blake situations happening? Well, I, I mean, I, I don't care pr pretty much how old you are. Once you, uh, you know, we, like, like the chief said, we, we want to make sure that we provide the best training that we can. Uh, so, you know, so you definitely don't want to defund training. So, you know, that, that's, uh, that's, that's counterproductive. So you want to get them the best training and you want to get them as best you, your budget can retrain it so that you can keep them kind of focused on the pitfalls that, you know, sometimes gets us into trouble. And, um, and, then, and then you, you know, cultural, cultural awareness and appreciation of other, um, 
of other cultures and you know of other you know people is important as well. And uh, you know, you you get. I mean, think about it. A, a guy kneeling on a guy's neck right in the open um, for eight or nine minutes, however long it was, it's 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 unacceptable. You know, when when I worked the streets. Uh, if we made arrest, you know, we got the person restrained, got him in a squad car, and got him to the station house. You know, none of this, you know, whatever they was doing out there, which was unacceptable. So um, I, I definitely think that, you know, having, I mean, there's a lot of responsibility. And also, you know, I, I, I want to say this too, and I try to, even with my own kids, and I have a grown kids and one one that's uh, a senior in high school, uh, you know, I, I, I try to uh, tell them or, or, or let them know how to deal with the police when you um, have a situation with the police. And because sometimes um, just like people have bad days, police officers may have a bad day. Um, you, you know, you, you don't want to, I, I think that both the community and the police officers need to understand restraint and de-escalation. So I tell my, my kids, that you stopped by an officer, it's yes, sir, no, 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 sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, and you follow their instructions. Uh, at the end of the day, even if they're, you know, somewhat rude or whatever, you can always um, report that, um, you know, and, 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 and move on, but you want to do what they say, you know, and, and, and don't, you know, even me, if I'm stopped, by officer, you know, of course, I identify, I will identify myself as a 31-year uh, sworn, you know, retired sworn officer, uh, but I'll, I'll let that person know, well, you know, well, you, you know, but you in charge, you made the stop, you know, what did I do wrong, what do I need to do, and, um, you know, let it go there, trying to not to, you know, to, to escalate, so I, I think that, uh, you, you know, the, uh, the officers from the top down, you know, we have to value all members of the community, um, you know, that, uh, that's, that's number one. Everybody's important and, and, you know, and, 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 and I know at the end of the day, you know, I know what I used to think about, I want to go home to my family as an officer, right? So that's, that's what's, you know, that's, that's the critical thought at the end of the day. And, uh, but again, you want to treat your, the people in your community, all of them, as best, you know, with, with, with some dignity and respect, so. So, uh, Carrie-Anne's going to hate me for throwing out the hard questions again now, but uh, um, so Carrie-Anne, why does Sylvester have to have that conversation with his kids, but somebody who looks like me doesn't? That's part of the problem, right? That's part of the problem that's led us where we are today, is why does Sylvester have to have that conversation? And that, you know, pre-cell phones, pre, uh, in knowing things instantaneously, there's, you know, this historical perspective of policing and things that have, occur have occurred generations and generations before that are still fresh within, you know, we see in our African-American community that have happened and that are held on to and passed on. And those experiences uh, that they've had then are passed on to the kids. This is how you have to be treated or how you, what you have to do on those, those situations. And we have to move forward as a profession and figure that out. Why is that? How did it happen? And how can we, moving forward, make sure every person in our community feels safe, irregardless of their color, when they're stopped by the police, that 
they are going to have the same outcomes irregardless of their race, ethnicity, gender, um, sexual orientation. And that, that's part of the conversation, right? And I think one of the reasons that we're here today is because my perception of safety and someone else's perception of safety in different communities is different, right? And how they feel is different. Where I may feel safe, someone else may be, be receiving uh, what the department thinks is similar police services, yet they don't feel safe. So where is that breakdown? And that comes through having relationships and very honest and open dialogue. So, and I, I get the, the history piece and Sylvester, you wanted to add to that? I, you know, I, I wanted to, to, to touch on, uh, on, on something that, um, that uh, Chief Karen Thomas just, you know, said that, you know, and when we talk about, uh, you, you know, it, it is a, a problem that's, um, um, that's been around a long time. And that's, that's the, the problem of um, uh, perception of uh, many um, officers that are not of color have of people that are. And, you know, I, I remember working the streets sometimes, even with the marshal service, with deputy marshals, who, if they're in a black community working with me, and, you know, they, they act differently, they're more nervous, uh, quick to pull their guns, you know, um, I think more intimidated by, uh, and this is just my, my perception from, in my experience, more intimidated um, by, uh, you know, uh, people of that, that community that, that they're not familiar with. Now, we're in another community um, that's, um, that's, that's not a black community working, they, they're more relaxed. And, um, you know, so it's, it's a lot of, I think, like I said, perception of, um, of, of the, uh, you know, of people in the, in the black community. And I, I believe that the old uh, saying or old terminology of racial profiling uh, is still in existence. I, I believe it, um, uh, it shouldn't be, you know, everyone should be treated the same, but racial profiling has been something that people have talked about for years, um, a long time. And uh, it, it, it isn't going away. Uh, so, but that's something that, that, you know, we have to work on and, and, and focus on that, um, you know, it, it has to stop. You know, why, why treat, you, you know, you see four or five uh, black guys on a corner in, in their community um, and you're gonna make a FI stop or stop or just because they're there and you really don't have, you know, you no know, cause. And if there's five white guys in their community, just happen to stop and have a talk, it's okay. So the standard has to be the same. And I think that'll, you know, that'll lower, because uh, people don't, especially people of color, don't trust, uh, a, lot, a lot of them don't trust the police mm -hmm. for some good reasons. So you're characterizing there that, you know, people of color have good reason and good history to not trust the police. And the police can often, because they're mostly white still, uh, can often react differently in, different communities because of that, uh, that history, that perceived threat. And that's potentially why we end up seeing so many more George Floyds and uh, Jacob Blake's than we do people who look like me. Absolutely. So, so that's the end of part one of this episode. We went on for quite a while, so I wanted to break this down into two. And we're going to continue the conversation with Chief Carrie Ann Thomas and with uh, retired Assistant Director Sylvester Jones of the U.S. Marshal Service. You've been listening to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. I'm David Wheatley. 
And we're brought to you by the book, What Great Teams Do Great, available now at all good bookstores. Thanks to Brian Spencer and Finkel for the music. Please share any feedback and suggestions. I'm available through humanity.com. And uh, go to iTunes, like, subscribe, and leave us a review so that other people can find us. In the meantime, until next time we meet, stay healthy.